have to understand that this game has always been and will always be about buckets. The interesting part, I guess the, the juiciest part of NBA Summer League has kind of come to a close now with some of the better players sitting out the rest of the games and you know some of the higher profile players that were sitting courtside are not going to be there anymore. It's been about four or five days, I think, since Summer League started, and I think that most people's Vegas trips usually only last about four days, and they got to get out of there, so it makes sense. But there's a lot to take away from the from the first couple games here. But before we get into that, I did want to start off with an update about Damian Lillard and his trade situation. Uh, I saw a quote, and I'm sure you guys both saw this. Uh, Joe Cronin, the GM of the Trailblazers, said that if a Damian Lillard trade takes months, then it takes months. So we might be waiting for a while until we see where the next landing destination is for Damian Lillard. So that's something to keep an eye on, and it's something that we might not have an answer on for multiple, multiple months until the regular season gets started. So, but without that, or besides that, let's get, we got that out of the way. Let's talk some summer league. Uh, I guess a lot of people look at Victor Wembanyama and his play, and that's pretty much all their eyes are on when it comes to this summer league. Rightfully so. I think one of my favorite things to do is show people that don't really watch a lot of basketball. I like to pull up some summer league highlights from Wemby and just have them watch this kid who's 19, barely have to get his feet off the ground to dunk a basketball, and they're just mesmerized. And It's just funny showing people that don't know anything about basketball, this guy. They, they can't believe what they're seeing, but but, I mean, that's the main story. He had a rough game, game one, shot very poorly. He was getting a shot up, though, and he was getting good looks. And, I mean, those are going to go down. He's going to get better. And, obviously, in his second game, he bounced back and put on a monster performance and quieted some of the skeptics that were lurking in the Instagram comments the day after his first game. But, yeah, that's that's probably the most popular story. But there's a lot of other cool things that we have to take a look at going around the summer league and uh we can start with you jason uh what are some of the takeaways i I know you're a big jabari smith fan uh after his summer league performance so what have you seen from him and and the rockets yeah i i one thing that i like to watch when i'm watching summer league basketball uh is for these young guys uh the guys who are just drafted you know getting their feet wet against some guys who have some nba experience and then i the first thing i want to look at is is the game moving too fast for them? And uh, truthfully, watching Wemby's games, um, I-, I thought a couple of times it looked like the game was moving a little bit too fast for him. And, and you know, that that's expected. I mean, he's only 19 years old. I mean, I know he has some professional basketball experience under his belt, but that's really the first thing that I look at when I watch summer league basketball is these 19 year old guys who just got drafted. I like to see if the game, you know, is maybe moving a little bit too fast for them. And I think that's a pretty good sign, you know, that uh, it, it could be a long year for some of these guys. But uh, you mentioned Jabari Smith and, and we've talked about him uh, back and forth in group texts. And I, I thought when he was drafted, that he was going to be the best player out of that 22 draft. And obviously, Paolo came out and proved that, you know, he was he was the best player out of that draft. But I tell you what, what I've seen from Jabari Smith, and I know it's summer league, and I know Sam's going to jump in here and say, hey, let's not get too uh, crazy about what we see in summer league. But he had 38 against Houston. And I'm watching that guy 
and I'm blown away by number one, uh, the way he's able to shoot the ball at his size. I, I know the three pointer kind of comes and goes with him. And I know a lot of people were disappointed with his rookie season and thought, you know, that he was going to, you know, come out and have a better year uh, than he did last year. But you can kind of see that jumper. It's still going to come and go, but boy, oh boy, uh, his handle and his size and the way he moves and runs the floor. I was going to pick your guys' brain, and uh, this is going to seem out of character for me because you know how high I am on Kevin Durant, but am I wrong? Or when I watch Jabari Smith, and again, I can't get caught up too much because it's summer league, but I see shades of KD in him. I mean, are you guys seeing that as well? I mean, I know it's way early. I know it's only July, but the way he moves on the court and some of the shots that he's able to get, I just see some KD in that kid. I mean, he's 6'11", 220. He's not even old enough to order a Coors Light at the bar yet. He's only 20. I mean, what do you guys think this guy's ceiling is in the league? Because I, I think it's pretty high. Yeah, I definitely see the Kevin Durant comparison, especially when you see where his shot is actually re released from. He has such a high release point, and like you said, he's 6'11", 220. He's a bit, he's, he got bigger, and he looks more comfortable out on the court. And I know, I know it's just summer league, obviously, but that shot that he made in the first game against Portland to win the game, I was watching it live, and I just I should have said something because I was with my buddies. I, I really had a feeling that obviously they were going to go to Jabari, but I had a feeling that he was going to be able to get a shot off. I think there was one and a half seconds left, and they threw a football-style pass inbound to him. I think it was Tari Easton that threw him the pass. He said he played quarterback in high school, so he was confident <laughs> he could make that pass also. Uh, and he got put, put it on the money, and Jabari Smith didn't even have to bring the ball down and shot it in one fluid motion and released the ball at such a high point that the defense had no chance of blocking it. Cash went, won the game, and... I like, I like how some of these players, you know, like Jabari Smith, Shaden Sharp, Ben Matherin, these guys that really, I mean, they showed flashes of potential and they looked really good last year at certain points, but they wanted to get out there and hoop in the summer league. A lot of people were like, you guys were starters uh, in some decent starting lineups. Why are you guys playing summer league? And they all had the same similar answers that they just want to get better. And their, their rookie season didn't go exactly how they wanted it. It wasn't perfect. And they thought they could take this opportunity to get better. And that's something that I really respect from last year's draft class. And they're really standing out in the summer league this year. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that one, Jake. <clears throat> I mean, the Houston Rockets this year is well documented. They needed some kind of leadership, some kind of character who's going to want to get those extra reps in, um, really work on his game to not repeat the embarrassment of a season that they had this year I mean for for lack of a better term and I absolutely love Jabari Smith Jr. getting in there getting reps yeah even if it's against competition that's obviously inferior compared to an NBA team's regular roster but it's still intensely like high level competition and he looks he looks great out there he looks like a guy who has played a year in the league and has adjusted to the speed of the NBA game and has figured out what to work on for himself and I, I remember before the draft last year, um, I think we predicted that Paolo would go first overall to the Magic, but uh, I think maybe at least two of us, if not all three of us, thought that Jabari Smith Jr. could have easily been picked there. Um, 
I think we all agreed on that, yeah. Yeah, we said uh, maybe mm-hmm. I would probably take him number one, but I think Paolo is going to go number one. Um, or, I, you know, some, something to the sort of that. Uh, but I, I really think we're going to see a big jump from him this year. Not that he had a disappointing rookie season, but it just the fact that it was a runaway rookie of the year race from basically game one. Um, and I expected to kind of see him in that. But I think down the road he could easily be the best player from this draft class. Or, sorry, from last year's draft class. I think that's totally fair. I think Jabari Smith has a very, very high ceiling, as well as a lot of players in that draft class. This is one of the better draft classes we've seen. Uh, I think that we will see. Obviously, they have a lot to prove still. Uh, A young core that, a couple young cores that I've been, I've had my eye on and that I've kind of come around to recently. I'm going to start with the Utah Jazz, and they have something going on with some of the young players that I really like, and, and the fit that they're starting to build there is really nice. And I'm not even specifically specifically referring to Larry Markkinen, who was their best player last year, because he was drafted probably like six years ago at this point, but he's still a young player. I'm talking about guys like Ochai Abaji. He's had a great summer league. I know he had a rough first game, but he bounced back and has been shooting pretty well from three since that game. He's another player to keep your eye on. Another guy that Sam is very familiar with is Keontae George, who uh, he set his draft scouting report as his phone background, as his phone lock screen that compares him to Jordan Clarkson. I don't know if this is a shot at Jordan Clarkson, but I definitely, if I was him, I, I would like to think I could be a better player than Jordan Clarkson one day. And he's had back-to-back great games, his first two games in Vegas. He went for 33-10 and six threes in his first game and then 26 points, seven assists and five threes in the next game after that and I I don't think anyone was expecting this kind of explosion you know it is a summer league again we'll put that asterisk on every time every single point we make here I guess it's kind of redundant but he's he's really impressed me and he's someone that I did not expect to just explode out of the gates like that and uh I guess Sam you probably expected it huh yeah well and I don't know much of as much as like expected it as I am, I, I'm not surprised. Um, watching him play all of last season for Baylor, you could see it's like every game you didn't know, or even in the middle of the game, it, middle of the game, he could be having a incredibly poor first half, and then second half comes out smoking, ends up with 20 points. Like that's the kind of player he is. Where, yeah, as of right now, it's still a bit streaky. I mean, he wasn't great in his first. He was solid in that first uh, game for the Jazz in the summer league, but that second game, I mean. 33 points on 24 shots. Some of those plays he made were just ridiculous. And he he has that ceiling there. And I think this just proved what a lot of Baylor and, uh, you know, Big 12 basketball fans already know, that this, that Keontae George has crazy potential. He just needs, in my opinion, I think his consistency needs to get better. But uh, definitely through the summer league so far, he's shown that he can – adjust very well to the NBA pacing of the game. He already brings that really solid perimeter defense for, especially for his size at like six, four, I think he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's going to be someone that's able to contribute to the jazz almost immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Let's jump in and, and, and talk about this OKC roster. Um, and first, we want to talk about Chet Holmgren because, you know, obviously he had that unfortunate injury and was able, wasn't even able to play in a single game in his rookie year. But he's kind of come out, and a lot of people talked about, you know, the weight that he added. I mean, obviously, 
Um, it's a struggle for him to put weight on to that huge, you know, seven foot one frame. But uh, he looks bigger. Um, I thought in the summer league, uh, he made an extra point to kind of come out and be more physical than the guys that he was playing against because he kind of maybe has a chip on his shoulder because, you know, he is a he is a, a slider guy with his build. So when he's banging against guys who are, you know, 250, 260, I mean, he's got to really make a point to kind of come out and um, put his elbow into some guys and, you know, be more physical with them. So I thought he's done a pretty good job of that. You know, in the summer league, he's averaged, you know, 12.5 points a game. He's getting 10 rebounds and 3.5 blocks a game. And he's obviously a guy who's going to be able to change the game, not just when he has the ball in his hands, but when he's, you know, on the defensive end of the court. You know, I think he's going to be able to change the game. And especially with that lineup that they're going to be able to put around him, you know, with uh, SGA and Giddy, and then uh, Dort, you know, Lugans Dort is the guy that kind of is the forgotten guy in the lineup. But he has, out of the starting lineup that they're going to run out there this year, he has the most experience, most NBA experience, because, you know, they're going to run a young team out there. And what I like about the lineup that they're going to run out there is, is Chet doesn't have to hold down that center spot because, you know, you have Jalen Williams in there, another guy who's 6'10", you know, 245. So, I mean, you're going to be able to kind of protect Chet a little bit and be able to kind of maybe play him, you know, on those smaller fours and kind of keep him around the perimeter when Jalen Williams is in the game and he's going to be able to hold down the fort against the bigger centers. But I really like what Sam Presti's done with this lineup. I mean, the crazy thing is, is that he has piled up the draft picks. I mean, they have Unreal. 35 draft picks in the next seven years. And uh, it's unbelievable what the guy has done building this roster with the talent that he has. And he has 35 draft picks. I mean, I, I you know... I don't believe that they're going to use all of those draft picks because they already have a young team. But think about, guys, come February and March, if this team, you know, is in the middle of the playoff hunt and they need to bring in a veteran guy. I mean, they have this draft capital. They can bring in, you know, a veteran to help out, you know, this young team. So, I really like where Presti has positioned the, um, uh, the OKC Thunder right now. I think they're sitting in a great spot. And it wouldn't surprise me with another year under their belt with guys like Giddy and uh, Williams. I mean, I think those two guys are potential all, you know, NBA guys. And then you have SGA thrown in there. It wouldn't surprise me if this team's in the middle. And I mean, they, they were in the playoff mix last season. So it wouldn't surprise me if this team, you know, is right there when it comes, you know, to uh, when you're talking about, you know, a cup, you know, one of the top four or five teams in, in their division. It wouldn't surprise me at all. You got to bring one of these players off the bench. Obviously, you're going to start SGA. But who's the next guard next to him in the backcourt? Who are they? Who do you think they're going to go with? Do you think they're going to start Jalen Williams, or do you think that they're going to have Giddy in the starting lineup? Is Lou Dort going to be the two? What do you see happening with that that starting backcourt with them? 
You know, I I, I think I, it's going to be impossible to keep Giddy out of the starting lineup. I mean, I, I really love the game that this guy has, and he just turned 21 years old. I mean, let's think about that. I mean, he has two full NBA seasons under his belt, and he just turned 21 years old. If that guy can step outside behind the three-point line and start making three-point uh, baskets consistently, wow. I mean, how hard is that backcourt going to be to guard with SGA and Giddy? I mean, that's that's scary because that dude's 6'8". Let's not forget about that. I mean, he is six foot eight with the handles of a point guard. His jump shot, yeah, it, it, it needs a little bit of work, but I mean, I think... This year, we could see that breakout year from Giddy where he gets over 20 points a game and is starting, you know, and maybe starting to make that three point jumper at a more consistent rate. It's a very good problem to have to be picking, man, I really like hate to leave this guy on the bench, but we got to do that. That's the situation Thunder are in. Their future is very bright here. And while they're not contenders this year, I totally agree with Jason on maybe if they end up. Uh, exceeding expectations through the midway point of this year or the all-star break or something where they're, they, they're sitting in the, you know, three, four, five seed, like comfortably out of the play-in or at least, you know, maybe not games-wise because you know how tight the West is probably going to be next year. But position-wise, if they're up there, they're like, ooh, we just need a little push and we're like, you know, this uh, rebuild is ahead of schedule. Most teams, when they look to trade for – you know, when they're trading for a big midseason or even postseason acquisition and they're like, man, we have to give up four first round picks. That's their entire future, right? Like that's what the Timberwolves just did. You're mortgaging your entire future mm-hmm. for a, a win now kind of move. If the Thunder during this season decided to give up four first round picks, uh, they would just be missing next summer's first round picks. And that would be it. They have four first round <laughs> picks in the 2024 <laughs> draft. Um <laughs> Like they, that's it's, incredible. If if even if they made a move that kind of was a little bit of a swing and a miss this year, which I don't know how much of a miss a trade worth four first round picks can be, but oh no, I guess we just don't have any first round picks this year. Good thing we have four more in twenty twenty five. You know, um, yeah. Good it, thing our roster just, is com- all under twenty four. <laughs> yeah, and we have time to develop. Like it's again, they're not. I I don't expect them to contend this year, but. Man, give it a year if it's a, if they develop quickly or two years, like you know, they stay healthy. Um, they're not only going to be rolling out a potentially dominant young lineup, but they're also going to be set with draft picks. I mean, just out the wazoo, right? Like they're they're going to be in very good shape, which is a little bit concerning if you're the rest of the West and the rest of the league. Before we get off the Thunder topic, I know I posed this question in our group chat one time, but I just want to ask you guys again what you think. Do you think Sam Presti, you know, put all like 32 draft picks on the table uh, for Wimbenyama in the first round here? Do you think that was ever discussed or do you think that he didn't <laughs> Ooh, even bother? Good question. Oh, man. Yeah, that is that is a good question. And, and I think in the group text, it reminded me of when the Cowboys traded for Herschel Walker. Uh, yeah, you know, to get to get him from the Vikings and the, and the, and the all the draft picks that they uh, and the future picks that they uh, levered to get to bring him in, and I mean that's what that's what that reminded me of. But holy crap, I mean, 
like you, just him and Chad Holmgren together. I mean, that is that 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 would that that would be insane. I mean, to be on the same team, but I I don't know. I he I I don't think I I don't think he would do that. I mean, like Sam said, I like I think he likes having those picks in his pocket if things materialize how I'm sure he thinks they're going to materialize this year. He can bring in a veteran sniper, uh, you know, down the stretch and, uh, and, and leverage some of that, those future picks uh, for a player like that. And in contrast to how well the Thunder have leveraged their first round draft picks and how well they've drafted in the first round, I'd like to point out the opposite side of that in Detroit. They made uh, history recently by the signing of Isaiah Stewart. He's their first rookie extension since the owner, Tom Gores, purchased the franchise wow. in 2011. They've been bad for over 10 years, and they haven't been able to re-sign a first-round draft pick until 12 years after that owner bought the team. Oh, wow. uh, uh, also, if you're wondering, Andre Drummond's 2016 extension was as a restricted free agent. It, it wasn't a, a rookie extension. Okay, I was a little curious about that. That just goes to show you how things are going over there in Detroit. I know we like to dunk on them a lot. There's just there's another slam dunk right there. And they do, you know, for any Pistons fans who may be listening, they they do like the Pistons have a lot of young, promising young players. But yeah, like you said, Jake, that that problem of not having those rookie extensions, or sorry, the re-signing of the rookie contracts is kind of a problem from two fronts how i see it it's uh a the front office can't get it done with those players they want out of detroit um because it's not been winning they haven't been doing playing winning basketball for 15 years or so here but also they just whiff on so many draft picks that they're like "Ooh, you're not worth resigning or we're just going to get rid of you because you're not panning out so there there is some hope in detroit i mean not it's too early to mail it in for this season already being a productive season but just there's a lot of franchises doing it a lot better and someone we did mention right before we started recording was Jalen Duran, who averaged 20 points and nine rebounds in the in the summer league and Jason you said he looked incredibly athletic and ready to dominate yeah and I was going to ask Jake this question so if you're uh if you're the Pistons do you believe that Jalen Duren and your boy, I, I know you're high on uh, Jaden Ivey. I, I know you like him a lot. And you have the return of Cade Cunningham after you know missing last season with an injury. Do you think, Jake, that those three guys are building blocks and guys that the Pistons can look at five, six, seven years down the road to maybe bringing them back to, you know, to their early 90s glory days when they were winning, you know, NBA championships? I think that question totally hinges on Cade Cunningham's ability to shoot the three-point shot. And if the Instagram offseason videos are accurate, then he's going to come into this year shooting 35-plus percent from three, and that's going to completely take this team to a new level. And it doesn't take much to take this team to a new level after one of the sorriest seasons in NBA history last year. Cade Cunningham is going to be an all-star this year. First time, first appearance. I think that the Thompson twin that they drafted, I can't remember his first name. I apologize. But yeah, I think he's awesome. going to be able to yeah. find a role on this team. He'll, he'll probably be coming off the bench. I think that one of the two, Marvin Bagley or James Wiseman, uh, I think one of those two players will actually contribute this year and prove to be 
a serviceable NBA player. I'm just not sure which one. Right. Both former number two picks that never really panned out for their teams. And you know, you, you know, Jake, who, who I'm kind of high on uh, for this team, and a lot of people kind of overlook him with all of the young guys that they have. But I think Killian Hayes is a guy who has a chance to make a step forward this season and become a valuable contributor for them. I, I like his game, both offensively and defensively. Right. It's been, a, it's been a long time coming for that guy. He had a rough rookie season, rough sophomore year. But last year was his third year in the NBA, and when Jaden Ivey missed time when, while Cade Cunningham was out as well, he stepped in and he provided some offense for this team who was – in need of any sort of offense that anyone could possibly provide. I think he's right. definitely found his stride a little bit. I think that maybe we don't see him on Detroit long-term, but I think he definitely has a career carved out in front of him. Yeah. I mean, we don't, we, we don't want to, you know, end a guy's career when he's only 21 years old. I mean, he's three years in, exactly. you know, and, and he, I mean, he averaged 6.2 assists a game last year. You know, I mean, he's a guy that can distribute the ball. He's going to have to obviously, you know, fix that crooked jumper that he has. But I mean, if he can do that and become a more consistent threat scoring the basketball, I mean, he's, he's going to be, he's going to be a guy that, like you said, if the Pistons move off of him after year four, I mean, somebody, somebody's going to take a chance on him. So before we move off the summer league topic, there was one more team that I wanted to talk about. Uh, and that's the Pacers, and they might have won me over as my favorite Eastern Conference team up there with the Miami Heat now. Sam's kind of Sam and Austin, my cousin, have turned me into a Miami fan. I'm not jumping on the bandwagon, I promise. But <laughs> this team being the young Indiana Pacers team, and they have all my favorite players on this team now after the addition of Bruce Brown. I just love the the potential that this group all together right now has. Some of the notable young players, I'm excluding Halliburton from this list because obviously he's proven himself and we know what he brings to the table. I'm going to focus on some of the younger guys and, and even a guy or two guys that they added this offseason in the draft. But Ben Matherin, sixth pick of 2022, he was in the summer league. He was dominating. He can get any shot he wants on the court. There was a stretch early in the season last year where he averaged over 20 points a game as a rookie and looked like he might win rookie of the year. Kind of fell off a little bit, hit the rookie slump, but, you know, it's your rookie year. The things like that happen. He's obviously going to be a beast next year. And then we got Jairus Walker out of Houston. He averaged 11-7 and seven on 35% uh, three-point shooting at Houston. He's a guy to keep an eye on. I really like his game, and I think he's going to fit well next to some of the guards on this team. And then we got Andrew Nemhard, who's probably my favorite young point guard. And he's a lot of Indiana fans, well, that – whatever Indiana fans there are really in the NBA, in the NBA world, love this guy. He, I remember, if you guys probably remember the buzzer beater he had on the Lakers last year over yeah. LeBron to win the game, he averaged uh, 17 points and 7.5 and assists in the summer league, and he looked like he was – he reminded me of Chris Paul out there. He was controlling the pace. He was completely in control. He was making the extra pass, and that's a common theme on this Indiana Pacers team. They're unselfish, and they're play, they play basketball the right way. They were destroying – Orlando the other day in the game that I was watching and it was just I mean they played Ben Mather until the end of the game and they ended up winning by like 16 but it was really never close the entire game but we also got Kendall Brown out of Baylor who 
we talked about, I remember the first time me and Sam ever recorded a basketball podcast together, uh, we talked about Kendall Brown and it, it was before he even got drafted, but he kind of had a, you know, he didn't really do much his rookie season, but he has the build and shooting ability of a player that, you know, can carve out a role on this team. He, he can defend at a serviceable rate. He has the tools. He just got to put it together. He definitely has a lot of untapped potential. Like I said, uh, he's still only 20 years old. Also, like we said, we don't give up on players when they're still 20, 21 years old. Uh, oh, and Ben Shepard. I forgot about him. He was their 26th pick out of Belmont. He's another intriguing prospect to pair with some of the young guards in the front court on this team. He averaged 19-5 and 41% from three in his last uh, year at Belmont. So that's another player to keep an eye on. And they also have Oscar Oshibwe out of Kentucky, right, Sam? We talked about him in the tournament. Yes, yes, they did. I'm looking at their roster right now. I didn't even realize they picked up uh, Shibwe and uh, Kendall – or sorry, not Kendall Brown. Um, oh, the – God, sorry, I just the page just reloaded. Uh, Isaiah Wong as well. Oh, yeah. yeah, Isaiah Wong. That was another player I had in my notes here. But I just love, you know, these players aren't the best young prospects in the league, not by a mile, but the fit that they all share together and the basketball that they can play in the future, I really like this, especially with Ben, uh, not Ben Matherin. Well, yeah, Ben Matherin, uh, Tyrese Halliburton, and Miles Turner leading this group. We'll see how long Miles Turner is in Indiana. He's been in trade rumors since the Cavaliers won the championship in 2016. (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah, we'll we'll see what his future is like. They also have Isaiah Jackson, who's another player that I like. But, yeah, Yeah. I'm a big fan of this Indiana team. Yeah, so, Jake, I'm going to throw this out there to you. I mean, they they have a lot of interchangeable pieces, and it's going to take a while for them to figure out what kind of starting lineup that they're going to want to run out there. I mean, we we didn't even talk about uh, them bringing in Obi Toppin. And, I mean, he kind of got he, he kind of got lost in the shuffle in, in New York. But, man, he had some moments in the playoffs this year. I mean, where he looked like a dude that was going to be able to make an impact. And, I mean... He's 6'9", 220. I mean, he can play multiple positions. He can guard multiple positions. But my question for you is, with Tyrese Halliburton, with Ben Matherin, with Andrew Nemhard, I mean, how do you work out that guard rotation? And then do you start Jarris Walker? And what? how does Buddy Heald, the 30-year-old veteran, from Oklahoma, the guy who gets up a lot of threes, doesn't always make a lot of threes, but I, I mean, you have a lot of interchangeable pieces. So if you were the coach and GM, how would you construct that starting lineup? That's a great question. And I was actually thinking about this after a couple of the summer league games I watched, I was thinking about this. Obviously, Tyrese Halliburton is going to be your starting point guard. I think that you have to have Ben Matherin in as the starting two guard of, with this group. And I I don't know how you keep Bruce Brown out of the starting lineup after what he did in the playoffs right. uh, with, with the Denver Nuggets. I think he's definitely earned a starting role in the league, and he got paid like a starter. I, they gave him, I think it was two years, $40 million. Wow, yeah. And I think, I'm Sam, gonna jump in. we were texting about this. Oh, yeah, go ahead, yeah. Sam. I know you got some thoughts <clears throat> no, on this. No, on, on Bruce Brown specifically, um, looking at the – not only, like, I mean, the – Pacers gave him a healthy contract. I wouldn't say overpay. I mean, they had a lot of cap space to use. I I love that signing. That's one of those signings that people seem to be 50-50 on that I definitely really like. But 
I, I feel like to take him out of Denver where he was in a fantastic championship winning position, they must have offered him an increased role, which I have to assume would would include at least a part-time starting role, right? They pay, they're paying him like a starter, and Sam, you even called it right when we were talking about this move when it went down, because so, you said some people will see it as an overpay, but I think the Indiana Pacers are totally in a position where they can give a guy like him $40 million for two years, and you know, he's a great leader, and he's going to help the, these guys improve. If you, play, if you put Bruce Brown in the starting lineup and you play him into three, you're pretty small, man. I mean, your, your lineup is going to be pretty small, don't you think? Well, isn't Jarris Walker 6'9", or, or is he shorter than I think? 6'8", is how basketball six, reference eight. lists. 6'8". Yeah. You, you guys don't think that Miles Turner and him at small ball, small ball four is a big enough front court? I think that's, I think that's doable. Yeah. Bruce, yeah. Bruce Brown definitely plays – he plays defense bigger than his listed height. Um, rebounding right. would be a concern with this team for sure. They'd have right. – Rick Carlisle would definitely have to – very much orient their game plan around rebounding or find a way to excel in all other areas of the court to compensate for that. Because, I mean, you can make up for a lack of size on defense, but at a certain point on the boards, there's not much you can do. Yeah, that's that's a great point, Sam. And then, Jake, what do you do with Nemhard? So he's going to back up Halliburton all year? I mean, is he going to be content with that role? Yeah, I think as a second-year player, I think you got to be okay with backing up uh, an all-star last year in Tyrese Halliburton, who I think he led the league in assists, if I'm if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah. And then the other thing, you, the, the the other thing you can do is you can bring Nemhard in at the point guard or the off guard. I mean, you you can he can he he can spell Halliburton and Mathurin. I mean, he's going to be able to get a lot of minutes just spelling both of those guys. And another and think good about thing your with... second unit. With yeah. Nemhard leading it, Buddy Heald is his two guard. He's a great playmaker. I mean, think about his days at Gonzaga. They were running the yeah. offense. He was controlling the pace the entire time. This is not, nothing new to him. He's going to have a great off guard with Buddy Heald spotting up uh, outside the three point line, uh, you know, relieving some pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And talking about if, if Nemhard isn't wants a bigger role, he isn't happy coming off the bench uh, behind Halliburton, which, I mean, I think he should be, and I think he's still going to play a huge role in that team. The Pacers can always say, uh, like, tough luck, buddy. You're a, you know, second-year player, not really any accolades to your name, and we have you under contract for two more years plus a team option in a third year. So, I mean, you either better buy in or, or, you know, we'll find a way to get you out. Like, I mean, I I think – I don't think that should be an issue. And the other thing the Pacers have to love with Nemhard is you also have to keep in mind Halliburton's injury history. I mean, that guy has missed, you know, quite a few games with injury, and you have to feel pretty good if you plug Nemhard in that you're really not going to drop off a lot at that point guard position. I got I got a question for you guys. The the Houston Rockets made some additions in free agency. They signed everyone's favorite player, Dylan Brooks, to a four-year, what was it, $84, $86 million contract, I think, off the top of my head. And then they also signed Fred Van Vliet to a big deal. So those two contracts combined are over $200 million dedicated to Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks, who over $63 million a year. 
yeah, over $63 million a year to two guys who were pretty inefficient players last year. That's what I was trying to say. And I know that there's pretty there's pretty much two ways to feel about this. You like adding the veteran presence of those two to the to a young roster, or oh my God, what are you doing? You just paid two of the worst, uh, most inefficient players on offense two hundred million dollars over the course of four years. Uh, we'll start with you, Jason. What do you think this means? Uh, those additions mean to the Houston Rockets? Well, I have to give credit to Jake because I was under the impression that the Rockets were going to uh, build their franchise around Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. And Jake has been saying for at least a year that Kevin Porter Jr. is not a starting NBA point guard. So evidently, the Houston front office agreed with you because they brought in Fred Van Bleet to play point guard and Kevin Porter Jr. is going to have to move to a backup role. So I have to give credit to Jake there because he saw that, you know, uh, Kevin Porter Jr. was just not a starting. He just, Jake didn't feel like he was a starting NBA point guard. So enter Fred Van Vliet, enter Dylan Brooks, the problem child, uh, I, I think it's a lot of money to pay for two dudes that I don't know if them being on the roster is really going to translate into that many more wins. And I'm going to let Sam talk a little bit about the contracts and whether or not bringing those two veterans in at that kind of money is going to inhibit Ime Yudoka and the Rockets' plan with the youth movement. We talked about their draft. I mean, I think we all agreed that bringing in uh, Amen Thompson and Cam Whitmore, getting both of those dudes, you know, was one of the best drafts uh, that we saw, you know, a couple of weeks ago. So I'm going to bring Sam in and ask him if bringing in Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks at those salaries was a good idea for the Rockets? I think there's two kind of answers to this question. Um, One is for this season. Now, there's a lot of talk going – and by the way, yeah, total props to Jake on calling that KPJ. I was – the whole time he would always say that, and I was like, "Eh, I don't know. uh, There's no way the Rockets (laughs) move on from him this early. And then this offseason happened, and immediately they made it clear they were ready to move on. So I'm like, all right, uh, point taken. Jake definitely got that one. Um, <laughs> but looking at this year, I know there was a lot of talk about the Rockets making a big splash and acquiring Chris Middleton or Jalen Brown or James Harden, and they ended up kind of piecing together the at least theoretical production of one of those players with two players combined, coming from Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks. Um, talent-wise, I, that you know at least on paper gets to where the Rockets wanted to be coming into this year. Salary-wise, I mean. Man, it almost $43 million to Fred Van Vliet this upcoming season and $21.5 million to Dylan Brooks, who, by the way, had uh, one of the worst, if not the worst, playoff – well, you can't really say a playoff run because there's only six games, one series, but one of the worst playoff series we've seen in, in a long time. Um, and he signs – you know, he, fail, he falls upward, basically, and it is $21.5 million per year contract uh, – Sorry, kind of getting off track here. But anyway, this year, I I don't hate it for the Rockets this year, the amount of money they're spending, because where else is that 63 and a half or so million going to go? 
they, those Dylan Brooks and Fred Van Vliet are going to contribute to, or they should at least, contribute to a few more wins for the Rockets, should help them out. And a, who else were they going to spend that money on? There weren't any huge free agents that would have fit the Rockets really well. They're obviously developing a youth movement or should be attempting to develop a youth movement here. I don't hate it for this year, but when you're looking at uh, 2025-26, which would be Fred Van, v- Van Vliet's third and final year of the contract, uh, Dylan Brooks is on for four years, but still his his third year, that, I mean – Two years from now, if you're a Rockets fan or you're in the front office there, you should be expecting the your team to compete for, at the very least, a playoff spot um, with all the talented young players they have here. And that's where you're, you know, they're in a position where the Thunder are in, right? Like maybe they're off a play in berth. They have this young squad. Like, man, we really just need one more piece and, and we're there. Like, we feel like we're ready to contend. But now they're spending $63 million a year on Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks which is going to be tough to move if it comes to that, if those two don't live up to what the Rockets think they're going to provide on the court. So I guess long-winded answer, I'll cut it down a little bit. This year, I don't hate it, but looking two, three years into the future, I have to question whether they will regret those signings. And you brought up a good point, Sam, with what are they going to do with that $63 million of unused cap? Like, What, what options do they really have? I think I'm happier with the addition of Dylan Brooks and Fred Van Vliet than the singular addition of James Harden back onto this team. I don't know how you guys feel. Am I crazy yeah. for thinking that? No, I, I think that's uh, no. I think that's no, real, I don't I, think I, you I think, are. Yeah, I think that's really good, Jake. I mean, that's a great point. I think bringing Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks onto this roster that obviously has a lot of young talent that is still trying to figure things out I think that immediately makes you a playoff contender, bringing those two guys in. And without those two guys, if you stay with KPJ at the point guard, if you maybe don't bring in a tough, defensive-minded Dylan Brooks, I don't think there's any chance that this Rockets team has any hopes of making a playoff run this season. But with those two dudes and with the young talent around them, I think Houston Rockets fan can go into this season and say, we are good enough and we have enough talent to be able to make a playoff run. Kind of relating back to what we were talking about earlier with summer league performances, we kept mentioning like, oh, it's just summer league. Like we have to be careful. And uh, especially with my thoughts on that and my thoughts on not reading too much into the summer league performances, whether negatively or positively, really applies to rookies or and especially high draft picks. Like these guys coming in and they play games over two weeks in a totally new system. Some of them like Weminyama in a totally new country as like 19, 20 year olds. And we watch them play a few games over a span of a couple weeks and we think that's going to decide what's going to happen with their rookie year or what, you know, even farther than that. Um, uh, Some recent examples I can think of in the 2018-19 season, so the 2018 Summer League, I think I have these years right, um, Kevin Knox and Trey Young were both rookies. And I remember Trey Young. Yeah. And I remember Trey Young fresh off of being traded for Luka Doncic on draft night. Like everyone's like, oh, that Hawks fan's really nervous. Like better hope this guy works out. And he came out and sucked his first few games, like missed all of his shots. <laughs> he ended up rebounding a little bit, but he was not good in the summer league. And then you have Kevin Knox, 
who averaged 21 and a half points per game in his summer league debut, like in 2018. Since his career started, he has only scored more than 21 points in a game seven total times. Trey Young took that really subpar, kind of rough uh, summer league performance, debut, whatever, and turned it into where he's in all-NBA, all-star level player, sorry, depending on the year. And Kevin Knox has turned into a journeyman role player um, who's still young and can still contribute on a team, but very different things here. Um, Summer league stats are notoriously difficult to find. Uh, And I'm just hearing about this for the first time this week when I was researching for this. Apparently, in 1997, Tim Duncan had an, a, a really rough preseason, um, got thoroughly outplayed in back-to-back games by Jermaine O'Neal, and then Greg, uh, and I hope I pronounced this right, uh, Ostertag? Ostertag? Yes, Ostertag. Ostertag with the Utah yes. Jazz, yep. With, with the Jazz, and in back-to-back games, they made number one pick, like, like clear, unanimous number one pick Tim Duncan look like a second tier player compared to those two. Um, and then obviously Tim Duncan turned into what many consider as the greatest power forward of all time, top 10 player, blah, blah, blah. And one more example, just to put it in here in the 2012 NBA summer league, um, Damian Lillard was co summer league MVP with this dude who no disrespect. I'm hearing up for the first time while I'm reading this article, Josh Selby, um obviously Damian <laughs> Lillard turned that into a probably wow. you know one of the best point guards in the league probably Hall of Fame career Josh Selby only appeared in 10 games his rookie season and and he w- he averaged 24 points a game then only appeared in 10 games and I despite having watched basketball pretty fanatically since then I have never heard of that dude so when I, it comes to these I I got to look I got to look him up what was wasn't he a KU grad I could be wrong, but I yeah, I I'm looking up. Yeah. You're Second right. He round. did go to Kansas. Yeah, yeah, KU guy. Yep. Wow, man. That that's a blast from the past. So, you have Dame Lillard <laughs> who's going to be a, a a Hall of Famer and Josh Selby. What 24 points a game? Is that what you said? 24 Sarah? points a game and in his NBA career, I have his page up now. He averaged 2.2 and only appeared in 38 games before he was wow. out of the league. Um, and, and I'm not using this to like, you know, get at anyone who's had good games or, or really like unfairly promote people who have had poor games, but these just for fan bases, when these incoming rookies come in, whatever their summer league performances are, just take it with a little grain of salt because there's a big jump from summer league to regular season. But I'll follow that up with. If they're a second-year player or a few years down the road, still a young guy like Jabari Smith Jr., there are things from the summer league that you absolutely can have takeaways from. Like Jabari Smith Jr. comes in, shows this clear improvement, right? Um, Orlando Robinson, uh, who was on the Heat's roster, in and out of the Heat's roster on a two-way contract last year, came in to a the Heat's, one of the Heat's summer league games this year, just last couple weeks, against the Celtics and had 36 and 36 points, 11 rebounds, four assists, and two blocks. Wow. Now, that, you know, I'm not calling for him to start over Bam Adebayo or anything, but that's a sign to me of a guy who has adjusted to the NBA game speed, you know, came in undrafted, and now he's ready to contribute as maybe a backup center so we don't have to watch Cody Zeller on a playoff court ever again. 
Um, <laughs> it just, so I like to see the improvement from the second-year players, but with these rookies, just take it easy. There's a lot of highs and lows in, the, in a rookie's season most of the time, and especially in the summer before the season starts. Yeah. Yeah, wow, Sam, that was really well put. I completely yeah. forgot about Kevin Knox and how he dominated the summer league. I really He had me fooled. I thought he was going to be really good. Yeah, I did too. I did too. I also really like what you said about the second-year players. Like when we see Keegan Murray in his first game in the summer league effortlessly drop 40 points, it's obvious that he's just leaps and bounds above the competition to anyone else who's playing in the summer league. And that's something you really can take away. He's just better than – he's so so many levels better than every other player on his team and the team he's playing. I think that's something you definitely can take away. That was a great point. And I think that was a good way to wrap up today's episode. Thank you guys for tuning in, and uh, we'll be back probably next week or the one after that uh, with some more free agent news. And uh, I guess the Summer League champions will be decided by then maybe. I'm not even sure, but maybe we'll have some of that to talk about. But we'll catch you guys in the next one. Peace.